Here we go with the latest SBL shoot around. We take a look at everything from the men's competition with a man who's created a remarkable coaching legacy after a 200-game playing career. Ben Etridge joins Chris Bright to bring you another men's SBL shoot around. Hello and welcome to episode 20, and a little bit sadly, I think, the final episode for 2020 of SBL Shootaround, but but boy do we hope to finish on a high note. We've got the finals weekend to wrap up, and, and wasn't it an exciting two nights of, of basketball that we saw? The semi-finals on the Friday night, and then a terrific grand final in front of a big crowd at Bendat Basketball Centre, and as it turns out to be on this final episode of SBL Shootaround, we'll be speaking to the captain and coach of the championship winning team. So really looking forward to that on this last episode, as well as wrapping up the whole competition and wrapping up our first year of doing this show here on SBL Shootaround. So really looking forward to finishing off on a, on a high note. I'm Chris Pike, but the man who is always at the centre of everyone's thoughts and attention, Ben Etridge, thanks for joining me once more. Uh, great to be here, Chris. And yep, 20... Episode 20, and you know, we probably weren't thinking we were going to have anything as we set mm. along, and I think we've seen this this finals format was just absolutely phenomenal. There was no long, drawn-out, um, you know, four weeks of, of finals and then a grand final to sort of have it all wrapped up in one weekend with two semifinals on a Friday night and then a championship game on a Sunday was, I think, a, a really great format, and we, we saw the momentum build. It was well-supported by the public with the the two sellouts of the, the women's and the men's yeah. uh, West Coast Classic Finals, um, both broadcast live on the West Australian. Um, and, yeah, just a, a really great way to wrap up the uh, what what we thought we weren't going to have. So, um, yeah, well done to everyone involved. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I think to, to go from, the, from a point where we thought we might end up not having a season at all to end up having the 10 weeks of basketball that we did to have to have the crowds that we were able to get across every venue. And, and this weekend, I was up at Warwick for the doubleheader on, on Friday night, and, and that building was as packed as it would have been if it was an SBL semi-final final night. That place was as packed as it could get. And then, yeah, the two great crowds over the weekend for the grand finals, great atmosphere at both of them. To have the games broadcast and, and watched by a lot of people, I'm, I have no doubt, across the country and across the world, people would have been watching because there's not a lot of live basketball you can watch right now. So full credit to Basketball WA in the West for making making those two grand finals free and available to everybody to watch. So, yeah, and in the end, we've got a championship team in the Warwick Senators who have been desperate for for success for so long. Cody Ellis and Mike Ellis as captain and coach have been trying to achieve this for the last five years. Um, they've been knocking on the door. They they thought they broke through a couple of years ago when they reached the semifinals, and I remember how excited they were once they won that quarterfinal series against the Perth Redbacks to to sort of break that hoodoo down of getting to the through the first round, and then it was you and, and your Junior Love Wolves that sort of ended that party that year. But they finally broke through, and I feel like this is a massive moment in the in the history of the club for the Senators. So I, if you try and say the West Coast Classic doesn't mean anything, I don't think anyone at the Warwick Senators will be buying into that. I agree 100%, and I think it was uh, the fruits of a, a lot of people's labour there at uh, Warwick and uh, the changes they've gone through in the, the new stadium. And Josh Nips is their you know, director of basketball and, and all the work that they do. And, um, yeah, look, they're definitely... Uh, reaping the rewards and 
um, would be very sure that the Ellis family are very proud of the achievements of both Mike and Cody mm. um, in bringing a championship to, to the Warwick Senators. Yeah, and, and as Mike pointed out to me the other day as well, this was a club before they joined up with the Churches of Christ there at Warwick. They were almost ready to fold as an organisation. We almost didn't have a Sterling Senators or a Warwick Senators in the SBL at all. And now a few years later, they're a powerhouse in both the men's and women's competitions. Their junior programs, as you know as well as anyone, because you live in the area, they're, they're doing a great job in their junior programs and their participation levels. And now it's now it's bearing fruit at, at SBL level too. Yeah, 100%. And, and we've only just got to look at their their junior program and the, the kids like Ethan Elliott that they've brought mm-hmm. through this year into the SBL. Um, they're doing some great things. And like I said, the... The results that they're getting are just because of a lot of hard work from a lot of people behind the scenes and and families that are involved, like the Ellis family that have stuck by through the tough times. And Mike's filled a lot of roles there. And looking forward to having a chat to him a bit later about where he sees the uh, Warwick Senators going in the future. Absolutely, we had a great time earlier in the season when we spoke to Dan Hunt and and Liam Hunt as father and son, and and now fresh off a championship, it's going to be a lot of fun to get Mike and Cody together as well. Yeah, and as a son of a coach, I know that there can be some tough times. <laughs> um, and as we spoke to Ryan Gardner about, those those rides home after a loss mm. or a bad game can be very silent, but um, nothing better than your old man putting his arm around your shoulder and telling you you've done a great job, which I'm sure Mike would have done uh, on, on Sunday night for, for Cody. So, yeah, those two will be a, a great chat. Absolutely. Now, before we have a look at the, the three finals games in a bit more detail, Ben, You've had some you've had some camps this week during school holidays. How have the first couple of days gone? Oh, brilliant! Yeah, so I, uh, I run a little shooting shooting clinic. Uh, I call it Shot Doctor. Um, just designed to help people, you know, with their shooting. It's uh, probably the, the least um, correctly taught skill, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many different ways. Whenever I ask a kid who taught you how to shoot, they'll usually give me four or five different names mm-hmm. and. Not that people are teaching people the wrong thing. I, I just sort of break it down and do it in a, a little bit of a different order. I reverse engineer um, shooting, so to speak. So, no, it's been good. I had 20 kids uh, run through today and another 20 on um, Friday. So, yeah, just really enjoy that. And, you know, the, the kids get a lot out of it and they get to make a bucket and mum and dad get to cheer, then that's even Excellent. better. Very good. Is your little fella getting involved as well? Is he starting to get a little bit more involved in, in basketball? Yeah, so he's uh, he's joining in um, the nine o'clock session, and oh, great. Um, he he must have been listening to me a lot because every time I ask a question, he's the first one to put his hand up and answer it. So <laughs> um, surprised me a little bit. So <laughs> no, he's loving it, and he's he's in there having a crack as well, which is always good. Okay, excellent. Now that's let's go back to Friday night for the semi-finals, the start of the finals in the West Coast Classic. We'll start up at Warwick Stadium. Um, the Senators blew them away early. The Senators blew the lightning off the court for the for the first half. Even though I thought watching on, Lakeside did a great job of trying to establish an inside presence with Andrew Ferguson and Michael Vigor. I thought that could have been an area where they they could have had an advantage just because they've got that added size with the two seven footers against the Senators. Didn't quite pay off, but the, the lightning was always going to make a charge back, and they they got within two points when Jack Eisenberger was lighting up during the fourth quarter, but they couldn't quite finish the job and. In the end, it was Cody Ellis, probably fittingly, that he hit three massive three-point shots in the last, I think it was four minutes of the game, to to shoot the Senators into the grand final. The crowd went nuts, and it was a lot of fun to be there. Um, I know you, I know you didn't see a lot of the game, Ben, but what did you what did you make of the result? 
Yeah, well, as I followed it on on the live stats, so I was sort of as you sort of described it, hundred uh, percent how it went. And the thing that stood out for me post game or pre game was when we spoke to uh, Dave Daniels, and he and he said that he hadn't had um, his his group that was going to play on on Friday night together for six weeks, and that was a bit of a red flag for me as to you know how they were going to go. And as we he also said that he hadn't had Vigor and Ferguson for one training session. Yeah, so oh, yeah. you know that that's probably what shone through that early start, that cohesiveness that we've seen from uh, the senators all throughout the year, that ability to, when things aren't going right, they don't need a timeout or they don't need a stoppage in play. It's that chemistry that they've built um, that allowed them to sort of weather that storm that Jack Eisenberger, I think I sent a text message to Luke Brennan saying uh, Eisenberger at two points at, at three quarter time mm. or something like that. And next thing he's, he's exploded <laughs> and they yeah. were able to weather that storm and, as you said, Cody Ellis just showed his class um, as he's done it. Sort of Cody's mo a little bit. He'll he'll do that in a quarter. He'll he'll get a, a bunch of points or score score double figures in a quarter, and then he. I think he had sixteen points in the fourth quarter. Yeah, so you know that's what you'd expect from a guy that's you know been played Division One college and and been on a couple of NBL rosters. His ability to do that um, out of the flow of their offense usually as well. He's not the type of guy that just takes it on his own. So he lets other people do their things, and then. Um, you know, them coming home with a, a win of, of eight points, I think, was probably a little bit closer than, than it should have been. But yep. um, fitting that they got the chocolates at the end of the day. Wani Swaka was unbelievable in this game as well. He had a couple of threes. He had a couple of couple of big dunks as well. He did a lot of exciting things. But I don't know if you've seen seen the footage of it, Ben, but he's blocked shot from where he flew from nowhere when Andrew Ferguson thought he had an, an easy layup and he blocked the shot on the seven-footer and his Wildcats teammate. That is a block that'll 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 be remembered for a, a very long time, and I have no doubt they'll be talking about it at Wildcats training this week. Yeah, I didn't see it live, but I saw the uh, the photos went up mm. pretty quick, and it was reminiscent of the the block of uh, Bam on Jason Tatum, where you know yeah, out of was. nowhere a guy yep. comes and, and just blocks a shot, and that's that's those freakish things that Wayne can do, and that's what we know he can do. He's not a traditional point guard; he's you know he's he's long, he's rangy, he's really strong. Um, but he can do those intangible things that um, others can't, and he, he tends to tends to chip in and do whatever his team needs to win. And that's, uh, I guess, what the Wildcats love about him is he just finds a way to help his teammates get better and, and finds a way to help his team win. Absolutely. We'll talk a bit more about Lakeside too when we we give our final gradings of the teams that made made the finals later in the show. The other semi final was up at HBF Arena. Um, actually, got a bit. I'm sorry, it was actually at Bendat Basketball Centre. Fairy Lakes Hawks, it actually got a bit tight for them. The Wolves did get within, I think it was seven points in the fourth quarter, but the Hawks pulled away to win 96-70. to 70, But I think it's hard to ignore the fact that the story of this game was the fact that there was no Rob Huntington, Trian Iliadis, or Reese Maxwell for the Joondalup Wolves. Yeah, and as we've sort of said all along, it was... Every club had a chance to do something and set themselves up for the future. And um, I think the Wolves have really, you know, suffered this year from not really having that plan in place. They changed the goalposts very early on as to what they were trying to get done in, in mm. the West Coast Classic. Um, and then, look, you know, we've said all along that uh, when you've got nothing to lose, that's probably when you're most dangerous. And when they finally did throw their kids out there and give them a chance, they, they put up a bit of a fight. Yep. Um, but in the end, just the, the depth and the strength of the of the Hawks, as we've seen over the last few years, um, Ben Purser and, and Co. Just um, too well drilled and, and just understand the game a little bit better. So, um, look, 
would it have been a different result if those three boys or even Lee Roberts had have been there? Probably not, um, but it would have been a hell of a lot closer. Um, but again, that sort of uh, leaves you sort of scratching your head as to, to what's going up there at the end of the freeway. If 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 you were still coaching there and the players did come to you and said that they had plans for the finals time, what would have happened? Would have you accepted it? Would have you said, look, guys, if you want to be part of this, you've got to change those plans because if we make the finals, we need you. What I mean, what would have you done if you were coaching in this situation? Look, it's re- it's really hard to, as I said, you know, the, we had the situation a couple of weeks ago where Michael Vigor wasn't playing because his birthday. Yeah, you know, it's a month after the normal season would be, so you can't change those sorts of things. But you know, for me, it would have been the timing of when I found out, and if it yeah, was, sure. you know, six weeks before, then we go, all right, thanks, guys. We've really enjoyed having you around, and you've been a big part of what we're doing. But for the next six weeks we're investing in these guys. And, yep, sure. um, okay. you know, that that's where you've got to do that. If it was the night before, then I'd really be disappointed and mm. be sort of saying, well, you know, what's the relationship that we've developed over the last 10 years and do you think this is fair and not fair that you've done this, you know, to, to the club and to the people that put in time and effort behind you? So, look, I, I'm not privy to any of those conversations that went yeah. on, whether the coaching staff knew or how that message was delivered. So, I'm not going to, you know, try and look into any of that sort of stuff. But, Look, you'd hope that there was some open and honest communication well in advance, so that everyone knew what the situation was. Um, because otherwise, it's sort of it's not it's not a good look for your for your club, and especially you know a, a first year coach who's trying to establish himself, and and guys that have played 200, 250 games for the club. Um, you know, you'd, you'd hope that there was a little bit more communication around the place, so that that didn't happen. Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. I mean, we probably could go on about it, but that's that's try and keep positive and move on. Cooper Hamilton was the star for the Perry Lakes Hawks. This is what's great about this West Coast Classic. Somebody who was a just a just a role player before, all of a sudden in, in this competition, he's become one of their most important players. And with a grand final spot on the line, he steps up and hits thirty points and knocks down five three pointers for the night. Yeah, he's, he's become these prototype, or not prototype, but the development of these stretch bigs. Um, mm. You know, the SPL has got a, had a, a few of them around, Robbie Huntington and Caleb Davis and, and the like that, you know, the ability to step out from the basket and, and shoot the ball now becomes such a uh, asset to any team. And again, you know, Matt Parsons and his coaching staff are probably sitting there looking at, at recruiting for next year and going, well, you know, can we maybe pinch hit with him at the five, given his production? Yes, we know his production might go down mm-hmm. um, if we bring in an import, but, you know, how well does he fit against alongside a Perser and a Reddish, and yep. can we maybe invest somewhere else? So, um, yeah, look, great to see a kid like that get an opportunity and grab it with both hands, and as you say, knock down five of twelve in a in a clutch game. That's um, that's just phenomenal. It sure is. Um, so that set up the grand final for Sunday night back at Bendat Basketball Centre, and I think I, I don't think anyone could argue that we ended up with with the two most deserving teams, the Senators and the Hawks, and we get to Sunday night and. Big crowd turned out. It was a great atmosphere. And I, I think probably because they've been on that stage before um, and they knew what to expect, the Hawks came out on fire and Ben Purser was doing just... He, he was toying with the Senators early in the game. They got off to a 9-1 and one start. But the Senators en- ended up steadying. They were only two points down by by quarter time and they ended up working their way on top. But I think clearly the, the game turned once and for all in the favour of the Senators once. Ben Purser picked up his his fifth foul with five and a half minutes to go in the game. From that point on, the Senators outscored the Hawks twenty points to six, and 
and that's the difference in the game. Um, ben Purser was unbelievable, but without him, the Hawks weren't quite the same. Yeah, what I sort of noticed in watching that game was just that you know, the overall size and length of the of the Senators really mm-hmm. started to take its toll. Um, you know, if you look at the three point percentage for the Hawks, it it dropped down below thirty percent to twenty eight percent. They were forced into a lot of mid range shots, which I know you know Ben Purser is the king of the mid range in the SBL. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that, that's sort of where he likes to operate. But just that extra length um, really really disrupted um, the Hawks offense. Um, and then at the other end of the floor, just too many weapons. You know, we, we got the, the usual re, um, return from Justin King and Caleb Davis, but you know, Norm Yang's performance was just sensational. And then some unexpected offense uh, from Corbin Rowe. We know how much of a, a Brad Robbins-like defender he is on the ball. Um, and you wouldn't say that, um, you know, the offensive side is his thing. He's a pure sort of pass-first point guard. But to get 15 points um, out of him was, you know, again, another bonus for them that... The Hawks just didn't have enough contributors. Um, you know, once and once Purser fouled out, I think we saw how important Ben Purser is and um, what the secession plan is for Purser. Like you no know, one plays forever. Yeah. Um, the Hawks would be, you know, maybe that's where they're looking is they're getting him some help in that spot to, to so he's not the the main focal point of the the ball handling and ball carrying and creating sort of duties for him. So. Yeah, just a great all-round game from the Senators. And, and again, that extra length and that extra depth. I mean, even Ash Litterick. I know on the commentary you guys were talking about, you hadn't seen him, but yeah. he came in for his little, little uh, couple of minutes in each half and had a massive impact. I think he, he did, scored yeah. four points in a row. And um, just, again, not your, not the big that most people are used to playing against at the moment. Um, just the back-to-the-basket workhorse and his physicality and his ability to find the you know the little duck-ins underneath were, were just great. So... You know, those um, those extra options and extra avenues to the basket, I think, proved too much for, for the Hawks to be able to manage. Three very quick questions about Ben Purser. Firstly, have you ever seen him play better than, than that? But secondly, what have you still had him on the floor at the point when he picked up his fourth fourth foul? And thirdly, um, was there anything else they could have done once he left the floor to try to try to stay in the game? Uh, have I seen him play better? Yes, 2018 Grand Final. Um, <laughs> yep. You know, that was uh, peak Ben Purser, I believe. You know, he was absolutely phenomenal. Um, mm-hmm. They'd lost Jacob Holman, um, and yeah. he just took that game on and, again, was virtually unstoppable. Again, threw everything and the kitchen sink at him, and um, he was just brilliant in that game. But, uh, again, he was um, just doing Ben Purser-type things in this one, um, the, the point forward and, and getting everyone involved and, and doing all those things. Um what was the second question? Well, when he got his fourth foul early, the fourth, fourth what have you, foul, kept, yeah, what have you kept I would have had him out. I would have had him out um, mm. just, to, yes, just, in, just for that patch. Uh, the game was still within grasp. Um, you know, you've got enough veterans there. Rob Kassir was having a yeah, Rob Kassir, uh, Mitch Clark, Ryan Smith, and, um, and Cooper Hamilton. You know, there's enough enough there to sort of keep your, keep your offense ticking over, enough defense there to, to sort of, you know, try and thwart whatever... Um, the Senators are doing, um, and then you know you really wanted to finish with him on the floor, not you know have that last five minutes where he wasn't. So um, surprisingly, though, it was probably the, the offensive foul he got called for um, mm. earlier on that hurt him, and then there was another quick one I think that he got yeah, reaching yeah. in in the backcourt that kind of he jumped yeah. from two to four very quickly. So I'm yeah. not sure whether someone on the bench there wasn't sort of aware that he picked up that fourth one. Because it did seem very strange. I've got a couple of text messages from people saying, "Why is Purser still on the floor?" Um, 
you know, and someone like uh, Matt Parsons, who pretty switched on, I would sort of hate to think that someone didn't deliver the message that um, they were in a little bit of trouble there with with um, Ben with his um, with his fourth foul. Yeah, um, well, and look, what yeah. what what could they have done? Uh, like I say, that's where um, you've got to put the trust. And and again, it might be someone else that hasn't played a lot of minutes that comes in. What might have hurt hurt them a lot was not having Austin Kisselev there. Um, that's what I was just about to know. bring up. Yeah. Yeah, you throw you can throw him in. He's going to give you a physical presence. He's going to get those rebounds. He's not the shot creator, um, so that would have sort of fallen more into the Rob Kassir and Mitch Clark hand. But Austin Kisselev not being there probably, um, you know, hurt them a little bit. He could have pinched hit a little bit at that four spot uh, for a couple of minutes just to give them a bit more Ben Purser down the stretch. But That's in saying that, yep. I thought, yeah, I thought um, the Senators were uh, they executed excellently. Their defense in that last sort of seven or eight, that fourth quarter as a whole was um, up another notch. Corbin Rowe and, and Norm Yang flying around everywhere uh, was just um, you know, that was almost you know, you, you couldn't get a, a shot off or a or an open lane to the basket because those two were flying into it. Yep, totally agree with everything everything you said, except for perhaps that I think I think Matt had to keep Ben in because I think the gap might have opened up if he took him out for a couple of minutes anyway, and by the time you bring him back, the game might have been gone anyway. And I think the reason he couldn't take him out was because I didn't have Austin Kisselev. It was an, an amazing story why he wasn't playing. There was only only a, apparently there's only two play two people in the entire in the entire state that could do what he does with his work on an oil rig. One of them was unavailable. And obviously you couldn't bring anyone else from outside the state because of the quarantine laws right now. So he was the only person in the entire state that could could do the job that he got called away to do this weekend. So horrible timing, but not much you can do about that. No, again, when when we're playing in a league that is predominantly amateur, um, you've got to pay the bills and you know, he's got a responsibility probably to a, a lot more people on an oil rig than he, than he does there. So mm. you wouldn't ever hold it against someone for doing that. But, yeah, uh, just a, a freak occurrence, if you will, that uh, he's unavailable. A bit like Greg Hot, Greg Ive, um, yeah. finger exploding in 2012. Yeah. Yep. Um, these things happen and they can cost you a championship or a, or at least a chance to win a championship. Now, a couple of, one, one more thing I wanted to ask you about the Senators because I think coming into the game we might have thought that Justin King might explode, Kayla Davis might, it might be Cody Ellis again, it might be Wani Swucker. In the end, it was Corman Rowe and Norm Maniang who were the difference at both ends of the floor because the length of Maniang to put a hand up and affect shots and block shots and the tenacious, ferocious defense and and Corbin's ability to just attack every loose ball and, and just to not give up on any play, I think those two were the difference in the game. And what we see with those two is just two different pathways. I mean, you know, Corbin Rowe's um, gone to college. He's floated around the NBL. He's been a DP with the Wildcats. And, you know, he's had all those experiences which, which add up to the culmination that he's, you know, a premier point guard in the SBL. And you've got Norm Manyang, who's, you know, come from the, you know, the, the courts at Mirabuka there and, and floated around the SBL. And then he's, he's gone and chased his dream and gone gone over east and played in the Big V and the, the Seabull and, tried out, we've gone to NBL draft camp and all those sorts of things and he's just, every time there's an opportunity for Noor to go up against people that are better than him, he's taken it and we had him up there at Joondalup for a couple of years and we absolutely loved him and we just, you know, too deep at that wing spot and we just couldn't find enough opportunity for him and again, he's followed his dream, he's gone to East Perth and then end up at Sterling where he's got a home there and just where opportunity meets preparation was just phenomenal and I sent him a message after the game just saying how proud I was of him because 
he's one of those kids that hasn't made state teams, hasn't made all these accolades along the way, but then he goes out and he puts in an MVP-type performance for for the uh, Senators. And, you know, he, he's unheralded. He's come from nowhere. And there's so many of those kids that, in a West Coast Classic, have, have popped their heads up. And, if you know, if there had been another import there for the, for the, for the Senators, maybe Nor doesn't get those minutes. But mm. now he's set himself up where, you know, he's proven he's clutch in, in a big-time uh, game. Um, and that could set him up, you know, for wherever he wants to go in the next couple of years. So I thought those two were great. And as I said before, watching uh, Corbin Rowe play defence in that you know, second half especially uh, was like watching uh, Brad Robbins when he first came back into the SBL. Just an absolute beast, hounding Mitch Clark up and down the floor. And I thought his two steals in the fourth quarter were were almost backbreakers. Like they, mm-hmm. they didn't you know, ice the game, but they just put enough gap in, in the game and stole momentum back for the Senators um, to really set them up for that win um, in that last five minutes. Absolutely. Um, I found the voting very difficult, um, especially when, when um, you asked to give the vote still with a couple of minutes left in the game. It makes it a little bit, little bit tricky. Um, obviously, Ben Purser for most of the night was on track for the three votes, but I think in the end, I, I always like to go for... The winning team. Um, I think I think Corbin, Nor, and Purser were clearly the top three players on the court. What order would have you given the votes votes in? Well, just because of his impact off the bench, I actually probably would have you know given it to Nor Manyang. He's his first half he came in, he hit a three, he got a dunk, um, and then the second half he's two big threes, and just the way he kept the ball alive on a couple of possessions when it was really tough in there, um, and just because knowing Nor and where he's come from, and perhaps. You know, did Perry Lakes have him on the scout that he could do that? You don't know, but he's been underrated. Um, and then, yeah, if, if the Hawks had been even closer or maybe got the win, would have chalked it up to um, to Ben Purser. Mm-hmm. Um, and then most definitely Corbin, Corbin Rowe. Yeah, he probably couldn't have split Corbin or um, or uh, Ben Purser in, in their impact on the game. So sure. I think uh, if those three were all in the voting, then um, the, you know, the votes were done very well. And Again, you could have thrown them all up in the air and picked up the one and gone with whoever it was. So, uh, but yeah, just uh, those three probably the standouts for me. Yeah, I agree. Um, overall, I think it was a really good grand final. Did you enjoy being able to watch the the coverage of it? Oh, look, I absolutely loved it. I thought the uh, the coverage was great. I thought the commentary, three in the box, was excellent. <laughs> um, the other you know, by play between yourself and Fleur, a bit more analytical. Um, and, and Josh Garlop did a great job as well. So, yeah, look, I think it was a great product um, to sit at home and, and watch it. Uh, managed to get it up on the big screen and, and watch it. So, oh, you know, it was yeah. really, really good and, and, and fun to watch. And, again, just the excitement that built over the weekend, um, that, that sort of one day off before the grand final, it was, was, was ha- all happening and then it was, was done. So, really, really enjoyed it. Great to hear. Now, let's keep talking about it a bit more after this when we come back and we'll have... We'll be speaking with both Mike and Cody Ellis. All right, very good. Um, should we should we get both those guys now? Do you okay, back here on SBR Shoot Around, and and well, it's only fitting now for our last show of the year, Ben, that we get on the championship winning coach and the championship winning captain from the Warwick Senators, and they just happen to be a father and son, which makes it a, a, a nice story as well. Mike and Cody, thanks very much for joining us. Yes, guys, thanks for having us. Um, a couple of days now after the championship. Um, I'll start with you, Cody. What's the feeling like? Does it 
does it stack up to everything that you would you'd hoped it would? Oh, absolutely. You know, um, it's something that we've been chasing for a long time, and you know, especially since Dad's been coaching, that's uh, it's been the very end goal to win a championship. And uh, yeah, it feels just as good as we thought it would. What about you, Mike? A couple of days later, how, how do you reflect back on it now? Yeah, I think the, for me it's just the culmination of a lot of work. It wasn't just this season. It's the mm. work that's been put in for the seasons prior to that and always falling that little bit short. You know, we always kind of fell over at that penultimate uh, hurdle and uh, it was nice this year to, to make that next step. And then uh, when you get there, uh, it's one thing to get there, it's another to finish it. And fortunately, we were able to do that. And uh, yeah, it feels pretty good, I must admit. I guess the only thing you didn't do was do what everyone else has done the last four years and beat the Dune Love Wolves and Ben in the grand final. <laughs> oh, jeez. That, that's cold. That is yeah, cold. I'm, when he shows in, I'm used to it, mate. He slips that in wherever he can. <laughs> oh, stick the knife in. My goodness. But no, it was brilliant, mate. I, um, for both of you, I was um, sort of, I sat there and I watched the game and I was, I, I watched that first game that you played against Parallax. Funny how the the season, the world turns. And I noticed from that first game that that you lost to Parallax that there just seemed to be something a little bit different. I know that it came down to the wire. And when you guys lost that first game to Parallax, I noticed you all seemed really pissed off. Like at the end of the game, everyone was sort of looking at each other pissed off. And that's what I noticed about the way you guys went about your business this year, that you really had that focus, that you were, and I said, I spoke to Peter Feast about it a few, when we played you guys, and you guys were really putting people to the sword and going after it. Is that sort of a change in mentality that's come about because of those heartbreaks that the the season's passed, or was it just, you think it was just that culmination of the group uh, evolving into that's where they're at? I think it was a bit of both, Ben, actually, to be, to be brutally frank about it. I, I think we've been building to that, but we never made that next step. And that doesn't necessarily mean by winning. It means making that next step in belief that you can win it. And uh, I think before, it's always been, you know, everyone sort of talked about it and we paid lip service to it and spoke about it ad nauseum. But it was a matter of not hoping that we could win it. It's believing that we could win it. And... I thought this year was the time for us to step up and do that. And then, uh, as you said quite correctly, everyone was pretty pissed off after that first loss. That was, you know, we, we actually controlled the game for the whole time and then we yes. let those guys get up and to their credit, they made some big plays down the stretch and we didn't. And after the game, that was certainly a focus for us about, hey, guys, is this going to be that season again or is it time to actually make that shift? And uh, and I think everybody in the locker room agreed, well, yeah, it's about time we made that shift. We're not going to be that team anymore. And uh, that, I think, certainly filtered through the rest of the season. And sort of for you, Cody, as the captain, you're the extension of the coach, but you're one of those guys who, a bit like myself, and when we spoke to Ryan Gardner about it as well, your dad happens to be the coach of the team. So you sort of, you're either copping the brunt of it um, yeah. because of that, or but you also feel that, you know, when there is a loss and you, you're not just going through it as a player, there's your, your old man's there as well. Did you kind of feel that you took it on board to to shift everyone's mindset that way? Because the way you played this season has been you know, outstanding and really the way you stepped up, especially in that semi-final, was, was unbelievable. So is that sort of a, a change that you've seen this year or is it something else? Uh, no, definitely. Look, I think it's just obviously 
you know, there's a lot of ups and downs of, of being a uh, coaching son. But, I mean, I've played for dad for most of my life, so I'm, I'm kind of used to that. And it's, it's been really good because we've been able to bounce ideas off each other all the time. And, you know, I feel like we've got a pretty good wealth of knowledge between the both of us. Um, but then kind of be that moderator between the playing group and the coaching staff as well. And then just everyone being that year older, our core group being that year older, a bit smarter. I think everyone was a bit over, you know, kind of getting to that last hurdle and stumbling. And yeah, certainly for me, I was, I was getting very frustrated with, with all that sort of stuff. And, you know, this was certainly a year that going into the season before the COVID hit, this was the ultimate goal and something that I really wanted. Yeah, there was that bit of frustration when the SBL was cancelled, but uh, all credit to BWA for getting something up and running. And then all the other teams actually swimming in and wanting to wanting to play um, to get the season going. That was still the end goal. And yeah, like I said, that semi-final kind of tried to do all I could to get us over that line because Lakeside were, were coming at us pretty hard. If you go back sort of 12 months when you lost that series to to Geraldton and, and again you did as well against the Bucks as you as anybody in in the finals and you you won a game up in up in Geraldton as you did a couple of years earlier so it's not like you've been playing poorly in in playoff series and even the year before that when you finally broke through to win a series against the Redbacks but then you came up against the Wolves I mean did you kind of feel like at the end of last year that no matter what happened in 2020 for this group maybe it's now or never is that kind of the feeling that you, you kind of had? Look I don't think now or never. I think this was certainly the year that we probably needed to make the jump. Sure. Um, but, look, I think our core group is still pretty young. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I'm, I'm probably one of the oldest at 30 mm. um, of that core group. And, yeah, look, I think we can use this as a, as a really good stepping stone to um, NBL1 coming in and uh, hopefully making some noise in that. The great thing about it is that chemistry you have a look at the way you feed off Caleb. You watch you two play together; it's 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 a lot of fun to watch. But then you've got Justin, who you've now played, you know, three or four years together. I mean, Corbin as your point guard is unbelievable. But the more you play with Wani, that chemistry is building as well. Same with same with Nor, same with 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 that with Ash as well, and Jaith Waits as well. I mean, you yeah. you don't build that chemistry overnight. Do you feel like the fact that you've been together for so long that's been a big factor in why you've been able to play so well together this year? Yeah, definitely. I think everyone kind of took that step up um, this year. You know, CD and I, our chemistry certainly took a step up. Mm. You know, I think massive thing for us this year was was Jay and Noor coming off the bench for us. I think absolutely they were they were both game changers throughout the whole season, and I thought. Nor probably wouldn't have pushed Corbs to that MVP of that grand final game. Yeah, as as one of the person involved in the voting, I can say he was certainly very high up there yeah. as well. Um, what about you, Mike? When you watch on. And you've been building this group. You've been you've been trying to get this group to believe in themselves for so long. Because every time I speak to you, you you've believed in the group. You just wanted them to have that belief. How proud are you that that you've now seen them believe in themselves enough to win a championship? Yeah, it's very gratifying to see that. To to see them. Uh, well, you know, I've been trying to cultivate it for a long time, mm. and just to see them finally. Uh, you know, it was it was weird. It was like the penny dropped or the light turned on somewhere along the line. And and I always knew that guys like Cody and Caleb and, you know, Corbs and, and these guys, they, they kind of knew what it took and they, they knew how to take that next step. But they weren't going to be the ones that were going to just win it for us. It had to be the other guys that made that step. And over the last three or four years, I've been trying to get your guys, 
and your laws and these sorts of guys to take that next step up. And then, of course, there's the other level of the kid below them, which, mm-hmm. you know, they talk in the grand final. Someone was saying about the young fellas of the hall. Geez, we got some young kids that were there that stood up during the season for us massively. And, and so that next group, to have that understanding of what it takes to make that next step. And I think this year, guys like Moore and Jay and then even even Ash to a lesser extent and then those younger guys started to get that understanding and it was like that penny dropped and they've said, well, actually, now I get it. Now I get it. Now I know what Mike was yelling at me like for all that time, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of what stood out to me and it was that depth that you had. I think when we watched you play Coburn, Chris and I called the game and again, probably my second or third time watching you guys play for the year and you brought on your second five, and I think it was Nor, Riak, and I think Ethan Elliott was out there as well. And there just was no relent from the starting five. It was almost like these guys could be a starting five on any other team. And they just, that's when you really put the put the pedal to the floor and you actually took your 10 point lead to, to 20 points, was in that time. And then your starters come back on and they've almost beaten the other team to a pulp and then they just take care of business. And that was, again, a credit to guys sticking around your program and the, the work that you do and your, your, your wobble and your Division 1 and all that sort of stuff is to be able to have that that depth, which is essentially, again, if you look at the grand final, you know those guys coming off the bench and, and those extra areas of production, we just weren't there for, for the Hawks. And, and you guys managed, I mean, 30 points out of Knorr and, and Corbin Rowe. You'd be happy with that any day of the week. Yeah, absolutely, and and that was the big thing. That was that was what we knew. And as I said, previously we've always gone into the season as coaches. We sit down before the season and say, "All right, we've got these guys, these guys." We list all them and go, "You know what? We're deep as hell. As long as those guys will step up and play." And up until this season, they haven't really made that step. And this year they have. And then you know, you obviously you get a bit of an injection of guys like Ethan Elliott. I mean, a sixteen-year-old kid coming in and performing yep. on an SBL level stage at the level he did uh, all season has been phenomenal and, and that gives everyone a boost as well and, and the other thing too, Ben you would relate to this you don't want to have a starting five that knows that any day they can come out to a training session and go at about 20% pace and leave yep. anybody behind them. Yep. Mate, our training sessions this year were so good because we had guys, the, the second five would push the first five every single training session and on regular occasions beat them if the guys weren't playing at the level they needed to. So, you know, that to me shows you the depth of what we've got and that made the difference in the attitude and the way in which we approach the games. And uh, I think that was the difference for us this year. Yeah, I'd agree. I think that's when you're when you've got that competitiveness at practice and then your games almost become uh, easier than the practice because you've got guys going so hard in, in practice that um, you know they actually look forward to the game because there's some referees out there that are going to call some fouls and, and look after them a little bit. So, um, exactly. yeah, no, 100% agree. Uh, we talked about this the other day as well, Mike, the fact that the the club at Sterling has been such a massive part of your life and I think you said it was 48 years of involvement that you've had in the club and... And you've, you you played in championships back in 1975 and 1982. A long time between doing, drinks. Um, must be a great feeling to bring a banner back to, to that club that's such a massive part of not only your life, but the, the whole family's life. 
Yeah, very much. I mean, you know, dad, my dad was uh, very heavily involved. And uh, so we've had, you know, three generations go through the club. And, mm. uh, you know, Cody's young fella is uh, starting to play domestic yeah. down at, uh, at Warwick as well. So, you know, you could almost say that's the fourth generation going through the club. So, yeah, we, we've been involved a bit <laughs> for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, in those early days, for me, um, you know, we won championships in the earlier when I was really young. I was a, you know, a lot younger than what Cody is now um, coming through. And, and uh, I won one with uh, with my old man coaching. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that was always uh, pretty special to do that. That was in 78 we won that. And then we went on to the club championships that were on back then. And there won't be too many people that would even remember what a club championships were. But it's a bit like what I think the... Um, the NBL one is trying to do and, and what happened was uh, the winning two teams or the two teams in the grand final from that year would go and play every other team across the country's top teams as well hmm. so or every other state and you played in a competition over there and we actually made it through to that grand final as well the highest anyone had ever finished at that stage was about ninth yep. uh, right. in WA yep. So for us to make it to the grand final, we ended up losing to, uh, funnily enough, it was Alan Black's team, the Nunawad uh, Inspectors, that yeah. had uh, Bill Palmer, who was about 6'8 oh, wow. or 6'9, yep. and our centre was Curtis Perry that was 6'3. So, you know, mm-hmm. we were kind of in a bit of trouble at that stage. Um, but we got through the ground. So winning that and being part of that was huge, and it was, was great to be a part of that with, with Dad being there and... And then a bit later on, um, you know, when I came back, I went to Melbourne for a couple of years and then came back and ended up winning another one uh, in 82. And I think that was the last one yeah. that we'd won. Um, and that was when I'd started with the Cats in that year as well. So um, so that means a lot to me um, doing that. So to now be able to do it with my son, um, you know, that's pretty special from, from my perspective. I don't know that it registers quite so much with Cody at this stage, but when he gets to my ripe old age, which is a long time from now, um, he might reflect back on it and go, oh, that was actually pretty cool. <laughs> I imagine it does, Cody, because this, this club has meant the world to you. You've never even considered playing anywhere anywhere else, have you? No, absolutely not. Um, you know, there was a couple of times when I was in the NBL that I thought I'd possibly go play over in the New Zealand League, but um, I don't always love coming back here, playing for the club that I grew up with and, um, you know, something that the family's so invested in and I take a lot of pride in, in doing that and, um, you know, I, I love to be involved in even the up-and-coming guys um, just to see their club grow. And how old's your little bloke, Cody? Seven, mate. He's seven in year two. So, so he's, uh, yeah, started his I'll... first year this year just domestically. Which, Very uh, good. What I'm hearing is, you know, Mike's dropped in that he won with with Gordon. Now he's won one with you. No pressure, but I'll no sort pressure. of think <laughs> after 11 or 12. Exactly. Time, are we going to be having another conversation? So, but yeah, that's uh, just brilliant, mate. I think that that legacy, um, you know, is just huge. You, you talk about the the SBL and and what it's been to a lot of people for such a long time. To, to sort of think that there's four generations of uh, one family at one club, um, that's just absolutely huge and, and something that when we spoke to Glenn earlier in the year, he was just so proud of, you know, the involvement of, of everyone that in your family in, in, in basketball and WA and it's just, you know, 
a great legacy, I think, that you guys are, are building. And it's not that you've left it, you're still building that legacy. So it's, um, it's a credit to you guys um, very, very much. Yeah, thanks for that, mate. It's, uh, it has meant a lot because, as you say, it's not just me. It's not just my dad or Cody and, and all that. It's been you know the rest of the family as well. And you know, they all played juniors there. And mum was a manageress when you know, dad yep. was coaching. And uh, so, yeah, it's been invested. But, but to me, I think the important thing and something that we've been trying to build for many, many years is that is that loyalty within the club and being able to say that I look at our group that we've got here now, with the exception of Justin King, uh, all those guys have been part of our club for multiple years, if yep. not for their entire career. You know, yep. I mean, I coach Caleb, Cody at under-16s, I coach Wani at under-16s. Um, you know, those other guys that have only been here for a short period of time have been here for at least five years, and, you know, they've been part of that club, so we've kind of indoctrinated them into the the Sterling Fold or the now Warwick Fold. Um, so, yeah, that, that's what I'm most proud of is that I look down that bench and I don't go, oh, we recruited him or we recruited him or we recruited him. They're all Sterling kids pretty much that have come through the club. And I think that, to me, that's the legacy that you want. You want our juniors, our Wobble kids to see a pathway that's available to them. If they're good enough, they know that we will get them a, a spot in the SDL squad if they're good enough. And, yep. and, and even Justin must have been here four years by now, and he it must be great to have an yep. import that becomes so invested in the club, and to me, he looks like he wants to be here long-term as well. Yeah, look, he, he is. He uh, he gets invested, and, and you know we make sure that guys do some coaching and, and get involved with the juniors, but he, he does that voluntarily. He's been doing a heap of other stuff, and he's starting to do where we're looking at him doing some high performance with our guys as well for the for the juniors. Um, so yeah, it's it's very much a part of the club, and and it's the ethos that we have, and I think it's a it's a good one. It's certainly successful. We don't always classify our success by winning championships, because hmm. um, I think there's a lot more to it than just that. Because you can win championships without doing any of that other work, um, but I think I think it just validates the work we've been doing by finally getting a championship now as well. Absolutely. What about your game right now, Cody? To me, it looks like you're right on top of your game. You're, phys- you're physically looking in great shape. Everything you're doing on the court is almost as crisp as it ever has been at any point in your in your career. I know it's been a couple of years since you've been in the NBL system, but do you feel as good on the court right now as you as you ever have? Ah, oh, yeah. Look, certainly towards the back end of the season, I felt pretty good. Um, you know, it's got my wind behind me, which is nice. I'm in decent shape. Um, you know, I still think I can be in a lot better shape than I was. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that's something that I'll work on this off-season. I believe around the, around the state that uh, I'll be playing in and trying to keep as crisp as possible and um, hopefully continue it on to next season. Do you think there's any hope still of getting another NBL chance? Is it something you, you think about? You have a look at a new club coming in next year. Maybe you go and play for the Tasmanian Jump jumping jacks or whatever they've now been, been called, um, or, or, or have you sort of moved on from those thoughts? How, how do you feel about it? Uh, look, I tell myself that I've moved on from them. Hmm. Uh, every time the free agency list starts and I see some players signed, I get just as pissed off as the year before. Yeah. But, um, no, look, I've, 
I'm pretty much moved on, settled here with, with my wife and my little fella. I've uh, got a really good job now. Um, you know, I'm pretty settled. Um, it, it'd have to be a pretty good offer for me to, to, to move anywhere. To me, you should still be really proud of what you did in the NBL. I know it didn't probably last as long as you hoped, but for those 150 games you played in the NBL, and I know, I know the last year was tough because of what happened with the owners at, at the Hawks, but when you got on the court, you still showed you were a very good NBL player. Um, are you still proud of what you did do in the 150 games that you played? Absolutely. You know, not everyone gets to play 150 NBL no. games, no. you know. Um, and, yeah, look, I'm, I'm very proud of what I did. Um, probably more proud of, um, you know, I guess how I, I handled my last year there. Absolutely. Yep. Um, yeah, there, there were certainly times where I, I thought about, you know, coming out, speaking out about it, but uh, I, I didn't want to take away from the team and what we were doing. And, um, you know, I still think we had a pretty special group there and, and thought we could have made a, a good run, which, uh, you know, wasn't, wasn't really meant to be. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, man, look, I, I look back and, and uh, yeah, certainly proud of, of all my games. Speaking of that Hawks team, I think every time I spoke to one of the Hawks guys when they came over to Perth, the thing that probably the only thing they were looking forward to about the trip to Perth was catching up at the at the the famous Mike Ellis pool and having a bit of a, a barbecue around the pool. Is that where we catch you both right now? Yeah, mate, that's where we're at right now. Not quite around the pool, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the old household. Uh, you, you got a couple of t- couple of now Kevin White's over here, Mitch Norton's over here. It's nice to. I'm sure it's nice for them when they move into state to have at least you here to, to be a familiar face. Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, you know, one of those things is as an NBL guy, you, you're so used to moving around that uh, even if you move to a, a place that you don't really know, that you, you fit in pretty easily. But uh, it, it's good to have guys like that over here and catch up with them every now and then. Um, you know, I've played my whole career with, with Dev White. Yeah. Uh, Consider him really close mate, and uh, guys like Mitch Norton. You know, I've known we've known each other for ages and ages, and um, yeah, really close to those guys, and it's awesome to have them over here. You still with us, Ben? Yeah, mate, still here, still here. Just uh, sort of, yeah, um, just listen to them both, both Mike and Cody talk. It's you know, the amount of pride that they have in, in, in the club and, and what they've done is is, um, is just great. And I think um, they've definitely set themselves up for success moving forward. If you, if you look at the team that they had on the floor um, for this one, um, if that's sort of the core group that they're bringing back for, uh, for 2021, no matter what we're going to call the league next year, if it's NBL 1 or SBL or another West Coast Classic, I think uh, if this is the team that they can bring back and put on the floor, they're going to be very, very competitive. And if not, um, the defending champions will be very, very hard to beat. Mm. Is that the plan at this stage anyway, Mike? Are you, are you firstly looking forward to coming back next year? Yeah, well, uh, you know, the, the biggest concern you always have as a coach is... Um, and the boys heard it all before, you know. Do they need yeah. a different voice? Um, that, you know, that always concerns me. I don't want to be the guy that's there where they're all going, oh God, here we go again. Um, but I think, I think now, um, after what we've done this season and towards the uh, NBL one, I'm, I'm definitely. I mean, I'm talking to the club at the moment because they're saying, hey, what are you doing? Clearly, we want you to be around, but up to you. So. 
uh, you know, I think I'm going to obviously make a commitment to the club and I think being part of the NBL1 is, is really exciting. It really is exciting. Um, and I think I'd like to be involved and certainly, you know, you could look at it two ways. You go, well, you've got some success now. You can hang up the boots, so could, mm-hmm. that, which is, I must admit, crossed my mind. <laughs> stop, stop while you're ahead. Yep. But this this year was, was a lot of fun. It was so much fun, you know. It really was. Um, really, And I didn't have to give these guys much of a serve during the course of the year at all. Um, mind you, in that first time out, I called uh, early in the first quarter. I'm glad the camera went to the other huddle because that wouldn't have been <laughs> too good. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, it was a lot of fun. It was just fun watching the guys perform and play at the level that I've expected them to play at for the last few years and, and I'd, I'd like to carry on with that for a bit if I think if, if I think they're happy for me to do that. I'm certainly happy to do it. I imagine they would be. What about you, Cody? Do you feel like if we go to the NBA one as a competition next year, that'll be that'll be a step up in a lot of ways. Is that something that makes you excited to be to be part of it? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think um, you know uh, the NBL's done an awesome job to, I guess, kind of get that second tier leagues around the country, all part of the, the one competition. Um, and for us to be part of it, hopefully, um, you know, hopefully it, it all goes through properly. Um, it's huge. It's huge for basketball WA. You know, obviously the cat, uh, certainly known around the country and even the world, but, um, you know, the FBL kind of hasn't been known. And I think this is perfect for it to, to get on the, in the centre stage, and, and I'm excited to be part of it. Yeah, I think yeah. so too. Um, I mean, I've, I've been saying this for a long time, this whole podcast really, and if anyone's spoken to me in the last 10 years, probably the same broken record that there's there's so much talent that's in our WSBL yeah. that people don't realise. And we've spoken about the Gavin Fields and the Jackson Hussies you know, and, and the seasons that they have, and Gav could be playing NBA and so on and so forth. We've got a guy here that's this year had the best assist to turnover ratio in the league. I'm a, I'm a stats nut. I, I downloaded everyone's stats from the West Coast Classic the moment it finished. And, and Cody Ellis has averaged four and a half assists to one turnover, which wow. is elite. And if you were to say that there's not an NBL team around that could have a, a, a three that can knock down three threes in a clutch situation as well as go out and, and get your you know, five assists with one turnover. Um, but the rest of the league's not seeing that. The rest of the, the, the basketball world in, in, in the NBL don't get to see that on a week-in, week-out basis. So, you know, that for me is probably the biggest thing is that it's just going to give guys who are on that cusp of making an NBL team over here um, that more exposure. And I know that you said that, you know, it's, it's, you've moved on from that. But, um, look, I, I think, you know, a guy that, that's a, a veteran, knows how to play the game, is a solid citizen off the court, all those things, um, it's just that opportunity for people to see you fly your trade week in, week out that um, it's just you know, going to allow maybe those other guys to, to get that opportunity that in the last 10 years we haven't. And then hopefully we do see a few more guys um, you know, making that step onto NBL rosters as the, the number of teams expand and, and the exposure yep. increases over here. For sure. That's something that I used to preach all the time, mate, over when I was playing in Sydney and in, in the Gong, you know, people talk about, you know, players coming up through Siebel and the QBL and all that sort of stuff. And I'd, I'd always, you know, be telling them, go look at some of the SBL games. Look at the stats over there. 
you know, we were we were one of the only uh, leagues that were playing the forty eight minutes. Yep. Um, yep. You know, around the country, and and everyone would be like, "Oh, that's why the stats are so good and all that sort of stuff." But you know, mm-hmm. there just wasn't that uh, that way to expose it. And I think, like you said, this this NBL NBL one will be huge for that, and hopefully. You know, those next guys coming up get that chance uh, to, to even go over east and the DT spots and, and earn that right to, to be in an NBL team. And then the other thing for me, with, well, the other thing for me with that is that if we do be part of the NBL one, then that also, with any luck, will keep a number of the players here that were thinking that they had to go and play over east just to be seen. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yep. and that that dilutes the league as well. So, you know, now if we're in that NBL 1, we can say to these guys, hey, you don't have to go anywhere, mate. You can stay here and everyone's going to see you, you know. So uh, I think that's also a, a big bonus for for all the clubs. Yep, I agree. And, and it also makes it a little bit more attractive if there's a little bit of extra money around for, for those fringe Wildcats guys that mm-hmm. um, don't go away. Then, you know, even if they're dropping back in and, and playing half a season, it it increases the intensity of practice. It increases the level of people coming and watching the games. It, it's just, I think, tenfold would will, will improve the um, the overall product of what we've got. And it's, it's a very good product that we've said, but um, you know, we're still the fastest growing sport in Australia, and we're building new stadiums and and all that. Um, I just think you know, it's a, it's a really great opportunity for us to really showcase what we're doing. Sure, yeah, great, totally. Now I, I couldn't have you have you on a show with with Ben Mike without asking what's it been like to coach against Ben and his Wolves over the last five years? Um, I always hated coaching against Ben Mike. <laughs> uh, you know, we, uh, um, it's one of those things where you know um, I've had people say, "Oh, well, you know, Ben's commentating your game, or you know, you're going to have a talk to Ben," and all. I'm like. Mate, I don't have an issue with Ben whatsoever. I get on well with Ben. But mm-hmm. talk about a game, that's a very different scenario. <laughs> yep. You know? Yeah. Ben, ben has a very similar um, affliction that I have, and it's called white line fever, mate. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and, and that's what happens. Once a game's on, I don't care who you are, I want to kick your ass. You know, mm-hmm. that, that's what it's about. That doesn't mean you don't like a person or you don't respect the person or anything like that. It's just... The situation, and, and I think, you know, I mean, Ben and I have had our run-ins, don't worry about that, we've had plenty of those over the years, mm-hmm. um, but that's because he wants to win, and so do I, sure. so you know, it, it, nothing personal about that at all, um, so yeah, it, it's one of those things, i I got to say, I wasn't disappointed when he hung up coaching, because it made it a bit easier for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh look, uh, again, I would 100% agree with, with what Mike has said there, and again, I'm a bit lucky, because as I've said before, I've managed to play against my heroes and guys like Jeff Anderson and, and James Fitch and to actually coach against probably one of the first people I ever saw. I don't mean to age you here, Mike, but as a country yeah, kid you, on a Friday night sitting down to watch the Wildcats and Mike Ellis, number six, is out there starting. Um, to me, then to... I don't know if you remember, but you're one of my first bosses with three-on-three basketball or hoop-it-up basketball back in the old yep. days. Um, yep, yep. You know, I was a part of that. And, and again, just to actually have, you know, be standing on the same court as Mike was quite a, you know, a huge thing for me. And I, I said this to Pikey as well. I even used to try and shoot my free throws like you because you were the best <laughs> free throw shooter that I knew. I'd take the couple of bounces, exhale, and then shoot the ball. And that was simply because... <laughs> 
you were the best free throw shooter that I knew and that's what I wanted to be like. So, um, yeah, massive amount of respect. And I guess that's sort of why um, to, to sort of hear you talk about it and, and have you win a championship at SBL, I was, you know, I was really, really happy and, and thought I couldn't think of anyone more fitting for, for you guys to be holding up the cup at the end of the day. So, um, yeah, look, would love to have been in there competing against you, but, um, yeah, this year I think was, was, was fitting for you guys to, to get it given the way you've gone about the last few years and the season you had this year. Yeah, it was uh, a bit of a relief, I've got to say. Um, you know, it was, uh, it's taken a while to get there, but it's uh, it's got there. And, and as we've all said, I think, you know, some people were starting to throw around, oh, it's just a pre-season tournament. That's crap. I'm sorry, that is rubbish. Um, it, it really it was, felt no different to me to a normal SBL season in so many ways. No, no. All it was was half a one. Um, yep. Okay, there might not have been... Um, the amount of imports that are around uh, and all that sort of stuff it didn't mean that anybody was playing any less uh, intense or trying to win it any more than or less than uh, normal. And uh, anybody that was saying that to me were just really making excuses why mm-hmm. they wrote wrote off games and things like that. You know, so <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, guys. I think on on that note, it's a good way to to wrap things up. But yeah, I mean, this is our last show for the year, obviously, to wrap up the season, and we couldn't have asked for for two better better guests and two better two better people. I've had a, an amazing time over the last, you know, number of years getting to know both of you on a personal level and, and watching you coach Mike and watching you play Cody. So yeah, for this for you two to be our final guest for the year here on SBR Shoot Around, we couldn't have asked for anyone better and make sure you keep enjoying the that well deserved championship. I, I do oh, have one last question though. Oh, I do have it. one last question and it wouldn't be the SBL shoot around without out asking it, I do have it on good in, intel that Mike Ellis is responsible for Mark Utley and his involvement in basketball. Oh, wow. um, and I'd just like to know the the early impressions of a young Mark Utley. We, we've sort of had Aaron Traher talk about um, his sort of, you know, his eccentricities as a coach. But um, what was it when you saw a young Mark Utley playing, Mike, that you thought he was destined to be a, uh, a, a coach of the year? Well, I I knew Mark was going to be a great coach because he wasn't that good a player. Um, <laughs> you know, no. <laughs> uh, yeah. Mark um, Mark was uh, uh, when he coming up as a young fella, as you can tell, even now. I mean, he was in a bit better shape when he was playing, but not a lot. He uh, he wasn't an athletic guy, uh, but he was he was smart. He knew the game, he understood the game, and we often had conversations about the game. And I always thought. Yeah, this guy gets it, you know, he, he understands it and one day he will be a good coach because he, you know, he wasn't destined, especially the group that he came through playing with uh, and again, you know, there were some pretty high caliber players when he was coming through. So he was never really going to be a, have a long career as a player and Mark admitted that himself, he knows that. So that's why he went into the coaching and, you know, he's, he's a very astute coach and uh, and does very, very well, that's for sure. He's uh, he, and, and he's a good guy. I always, I always love yes. having a chat uh, with Mark after a game. It's always uh, interesting. Yeah. No, he had the, held you in the highest regard. I, I spoke to him earlier before this. I asked if you had coached him in his junior career and he said yes. And, um, yeah, he does hold you in very high esteem. So, and, and Glenn uh, as well. Yeah. Obviously, have a, yeah. he has a great bond yeah. with Glenn too. Uh, mate, Glenn, Glenn's got an unbelievable basketball brain. He really has. Yes. Um, you know, I, I often have good conversations with Glenn over things. We throw stuff around and, uh, yeah, he, he's been a great coach 
both women and men for, for many, many years, but he got to the point where he had a family and had to look after the family first, so the coaching took a, a bit of a backward step. Uh, yep. The scary thing was, and Ben, you'll appreciate this, the last game of the season we played the Rockingham Flames, and I listed all the players up on the board before the game and to talk to the players about them and their, you know, what they do and how they go about their game. And I looked through the 10 guys I had listed up there and I'd coached eight of them. Um, so wow. it was like, yeah, okay, right. I think I know these guys okay. Um, yeah. It shows, it shows how old I am, really. <laughs> Is that through state teams? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Through, yeah. through state teams and schoolboys and all sorts of stuff over the years. Yeah. So. So, yeah, that's what I find quite rewarding is you see a lot of the other players around the league and you go, yeah, I know that kid, I've played with, you know, he's played for me, I've coached him. Yep. And, uh, you know, they're, they're great kids. You know, they really are. So, that's, I suppose that's just a sign of you're getting very old when you start to know that you've coached <laughs> a lot of these kids. It's a bit scary. And that's that legacy that I'm talking about. It's not that you've left one, you're still building one. So, it's just, yeah, that's that's just brilliant. Well, gentlemen, can I just say one thing that, um, from your guys' perspective, is uh, thank you for doing this each and every week because, you know, you guys doing this keeps the sport alive, it keeps the interest alive, and they're the sorts of things that we really desperately need as a league and as a sport. And uh, it's fantastic that you guys do it, and, you know, I really appreciate the time that you guys have spent this year doing that. So thank you for that. No, thanks, Mike. And yeah, I mean, welcome, Mike. Our goal is to just promote basketball in this state and the people in it. So that's why you know, we can't do it without the support of you guys being willing to talk to us. But yeah, really, we're just here to promote the people in it and and basketball in this state and yeah, to just to play our part. So thanks very much for for I guess taking notice. No problems. And thanks very much for joining us. And like I said, keep enjoying that championship because you're going to be the reigning champs for at least another eleven or twelve months. So enjoy it. <laughs> well, I guess we hang on to it for a bit, don't we? So, Absolutely. Yeah. No, look, that's great, guys. Thank you. Appreciate you guys. Thanks very uh, much, thanks guys. guys. Appreciate it. Okay, back on SBI Shoot Around on our last episode now of 2020, and that was a lot of fun. We've had two father-son chats now on this show this year, Ben, and I think we both had a lot of fun speaking to Dan and Liam Hunt earlier on when we were doing our our tournament to crown the ultimate SBL championship team. And and now, Cody and Mike Ellis, they certainly didn't disappoint either. Yes, I don't think anyone could doubt the star power that we've been able to get on the SBL shoot-around this year. <laughs> no. I think we've ticked every box in as far as WA basketball royalty goes, you know, to, and to have Mike and Cody on talking about their legacy that they're creating in State Basketball League and what they're trying to achieve was, uh, I think, yeah, one of the one of the best that we've had so far. So really great to chat to those two. And as I said in the in the in the chat, really really happy for them that they've they've won a championship together and and can hang a banner for the uh, Warwick Senators. Yeah, so am I. Looking forward to going to Warwick Stadium now in 2021 and, and seeing that championship banner hanging up from, from the rafters. So let's keep moving. Last week we ran through the teams that didn't make the finals in the West Coast Classic and, and you gave them all all a grade. Let's take a look at the top four finals teams. We won't give them so much a grade, but because they were they were all such strong performers this year, Let's take a look at how we think they're placed in terms of their championship clock window. So where we see their time to win in in terms of 
you know, if it's if it's now, if it's in the future, if they just passed it, and and it's it's going to be a fascinating way to look at it, and we'll take a look at how we think going in in towards twenty twenty one, and and based on what we saw from them in twenty twenty, where we think they are at. So let's start with the Joondalup Wolves, and you know this group and this club better than better than anybody. Where do you think they're placed heading towards now twenty twenty one in terms of? A championship window and I'm also fascinated to get your thoughts on where you think you would have put them when you left at the end of last year too for me and again this this idea of the premiership clock is something that, that's taken from AFL football and yep. essentially you you think of the timeline of a team as a as a clock face and it's just a 12-hour clock it's not a 24-hour clock and mm-hmm. 12 o'clock is where you want to be that that midday is means you're, you're right bang smack in the middle of your premiership window and once you get to that it's your your job as a coaching staff and as a club to, to keep that window open for as long as you can and it's, and it's really really hard and it's why you see a lot of teams they do hit that clock and they'll win one or they'll be around the mark for a little while and then it, it fades and it's testament to those clubs that can keep that window um, at 12 o'clock for as long as possible. So, look, for the Wolves, it was. It was the last five years, and if you go back to 2011, to keep yeah. that premiership clock at you know between sort of 12 and 1 for such a long time essentially has taken its toll. And where you'd sort of see the Wolves now would be, you know, they're probably heading towards 3 o'clock, if not 4 o'clock. That window mm-hmm. has now closed, and they're now... Um, in what you'd call a, a rebuilding phase, and you know that again, it's a testament to the club and and the boys that were there. They kept it open for you know nearly ten years. Yeah, um, unbelievable. But now, as I sort of run my rule over it, I, I look at I looked at every club that's made the finals and a couple of others, and I looked at their bottom five players on their roster. And bottom five players for for the Wolves played a combined total of twenty five games in the season across five guys. Sorry, thirty two games across six guys. Mm-hmm. And they averaged four minutes a game. Mm-hmm. And if yeah. you think of that as being where their future is, they really missed an opportunity to get those those minutes into those guys and, and really start to set themselves up. Because you want to get back to 10, 11 o'clock as quickly as you can. Um, you don't want to be hanging around 5 and 6 o'clock because then you're sort of in a lot of trouble and, you, and your club starts to doubt whether, whether it's worth having an SBL team and all those sorts of things. For the Wolves, I think they know that now. They've seen mm-hmm. that. Um, and next year... I wouldn't be surprised if it's fairly big rebuild underway, if it's getting minutes into those um, sort of bottom six kids that have come through the Wolves program, or if it's bringing in a couple of guys, as we did a few years ago, adding a Salinas and Iliadis and a Huntington to really bolster the, the guys that have been there for a long time. You know, Reese Maxwell was the only player this year that managed to get a 50-40-90, you know, 50% yeah, from the floor, 40% from three, and 90% from the three-point line. Oh, sorry, free throw line. So, you know, those Wolves kids, they've got some quality there um, that we topped it up with. Now they've sort of got that real look as what they need to do and go back to the drawing board almost, start from scratch and trying to work out what direction they want to go. Is one of the problems that might delay it a little bit for them the fact that would have you seen the likes of, I guess, Kai Chamberlain, Joel Offerings, Bailey, Bazo, just to name three of them. Would have you seen those sort of guys as the next guys to take the step up? And now, unfortunately, they're not at the club anymore and they they have gone elsewhere? Well, essentially, you know, that's why you have your, your strong under-18s, under-20s in Division 1 to supplement and, and to come in and, and be you know, active members of your of your SBL program and, and you get them the minutes where you can. And in a full season, it's probably a little bit easier because the longer season and, and it's not all win now. So... I think when we went through it before, there were seven or eight 
names on that under 20s in Division One team that had sort of won or competed for championships at that wobble level that have now either left the club and aren't playing or are playing at different clubs. And that mm. that leaves a really big hole in your development. You know, once you get past sort of uh, Reese Maxwell at 22 minutes a game and then there's a couple of guys at 17 and 16, it falls away really quickly and, and you drop down to the, you know, Gab Chudinas and, and Matt Lothians and Luca O'Briens who really, they're not, at that SBL level, they need that next two or three years to become SBL players. And mm. they've got big futures and bright futures, and I'm sure they will become good players, but it's going to be a bit of a hard slog for the next couple of years as those guys get the reps that's going to help them, which is what they had in those seven or eight guys that yeah. now aren't there. Sure. Okay, so what do you reckon? 3.30? Is that about where the, the clock's at? Yep, 3.30, I reckon. That's good school teacher time as well. So <laughs> I'd say, yep, 3.30 is about where the Wolves are sitting on that on that clock at the moment. Okay, the Lakeside Lightning also finished with a 9-4 and four record and, and they really pushed the Warwick Senators in their semi-final on Friday night as well. It was just a two-point ball game with only a, a few minutes to go. There's a lot of unknowns about them just because you don't know which players are coming and going from college and and you don't know about coming and going from overseas or not, you know. So they're a very different team if you have Michael Vigor, um, Corey Sherville and Rowan McKenzie and those sort of guys, and they're very different if you take them out or you add them in. But at the same time, Dave Daniel seems to always be able to find enough talent to be very, very competitive. Where do you, where do you see the lightning in their premiership clock? Look, if I think if you take out the guys that played a, a bulk of their minutes, so take out Bowie and Eisenbarger and even Vigor, like those three sort of senior guys who are all a bit older, that next group of Sherville, McKenzie, Ferguson, Davey, Poleski, Malseed, and even Ben Lee when he came back, mm-hmm. and then Liam Hislop, they're all now quality SBL players. Yep. That's a, a team that, you know, those guys are all upwards of 20 to, you know, 25 minutes a game. They've, they've played together now for three or four years through through 20s, through Division One. now in the SBL. You know, their, their premiership window is starting to open, and mm. it's going to be a case of, can they get that consistency? I know in this one they, they rotated the players, but in a fully-fledged SBL season, you'd probably see a, a Michael Vigor-type player playing every single game. Um, yeah, Kyle Armour sure. comes back and provides yeah. that veteran leadership. And then... Uh, potentially you know, Prue, too. Yeah, Prue. Chuck in um, you know, Jack Eisenbarger, who's naturalised and will be, be here, will pushing for permanent residency. Suddenly yeah. the door opens for a couple of couple of imports or NBL level players, you know, their their premiership clock is starting to tick towards twelve. I'd say eleven thirty for them, really heading into that in the next couple of years. If they're not in a grand final or at least competing uh, for a championship over that time, something's sort of going wrong. So, you know, their premiership window starting to open and it would be sort of, you know, now it's Dave's job and as he said, he's he's signed on for another year. Yep. So yep. you know the pressures now, if he wants to take a championship with him, you know, it's next year's the window's uh, wide open and it's mm. theirs to sort of climb in and, and, and grab some silverware. Yeah, exciting times if you're at the Lakeside Lightning, that's for sure. The Perry Lakes Hawks, I think they did a terrific job. I loved what they did with their team for the West Coast Classic. You know, you take out the imports, you take out Sean Redditch and, and they just had a perfect mix, I think. They had the three veterans, the three or four guys that were the next tier guys that took the step up and then they had the three or four kids that grabbed their chance as well. But suddenly you had a couple of imports back in you add potentially Redditch back in and, and you know, your senior guys aren't going to be able to keep doing what they're doing forever. But they were not far away from winning this title and, and they've been around the mark forever. Matt Parsons doesn't, I don't think he's ever coached a team that hasn't been a genuine contender. Um, where do you put the Hawks? 
Again, very similar to Lakeside. You know, they've got a, a very good core that managed to stay together. Um, they do have some good kids coming through, but what I don't see in that in that list of kids coming through is an heir apparent to Ben Purser. Sure. Uh, we saw on on Sunday how important he is to that team. If it was me and I was looking at what do I need to recruit for next year, we saw you know a guy like Cooper Hamilton step up. We we saw someone like Bailey Cole Heath step up, and we yeah. saw Mike Mitchell Clark step up. So I would be trying to find someone who's going to reduce the load on Purser. And it might be that it's a similar type player that can play alongside him. As we know, mm-hmm. Ben's more 18 feet and in, so someone that can stretch the floor, but someone that's going to reduce that reliance on Persa while they try and bring someone through who can fill his shoes in a couple of years' time. He's, you know, he's not old. He's 30, 31 years of age and yep. hasn't you know, had injuries and not troubled by injuries and that sort of thing. And we wish him you know, a long career, but I think for the Hawks to, be, to keep their window open, so you've got to remember they won it in 2018, so mm-hmm. it's been open for a while, probably at 12.30, heading towards 1 o'clock. It's yeah. still open, um, but they've got to find a way to reduce that load on Ben Persa while the rest of their core can sort of age into their into their roles and to still fulfil their roles. And that's sort of, yeah, that's a decision that Parsons has got to make. Where's he going with his imports and, and NBL sort of level players to sort of that? Because Ben Persa is so important to them. How he goes, they go. Absolutely. And I don't think they want to get to a point where whenever he does retire, and that still could be five years down the road, that suddenly there's that massive hole there and they and they don't have a natural replacement. They have to find, I guess, an import in that role. If they can create the replacement over the time when, when Ben is still playing, then that's going to be invaluable. And I would say the Coburn Cougars are exactly in the same position with Gavin Field. These guys are impossible to replace, but if you can at least find somebody that is ready to fill their role when they're gone, it helps to lessen the blow when they eventually do leave, doesn't it? Exactly. And I've always said the best time to rebuild is when you're at the top. Yep. So that's when you need to be investing in those kids coming through, finding those guys that fit your system. And if it is a recruiting someone from somewhere else or an import, the best time to rebuild is at the top. You don't want to leave it until the window's shut because, as we know, you know you can fall off the perch very, very quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, the last one, the Warwick Senators. They've just won a championship. But do you still feel like they're well-placed to now go and win another one moving forward? Yeah, it's 12 o'clock and, mm-hmm. uh, at the Senate. Uh, the alarms are going off <laughs> and their window is open. And I think we'll see them in this position for a while. As um, Cody said, of their core, he's the oldest guy at 30. Yeah. Um, and then they sort of trickle down from there. They got some really good minutes into some kids this year. I mean, Ethan Elliott, if they can keep him around, is a, a really uh, a high-quality guard that's going to be able to play minutes for them. Um, you know, if a guy like Norman Yang's around and, and even uh, Alia reacts back um, over you know the, yeah. the, the winter for college and that sort of stuff, I think you know, they're the team that um, has that window wide open now. They've, as we said, they've been sitting at about 11.30 for a while. They're pretty much injury-free. They're keeping everyone together. And as Mike said, he'd love to be back. So for me, they're smack bang at 12 o'clock in their mm-hmm. premiership window is wide open. Very good. Um, on the same tone, I don't know if you've thought about this, so it's a question without notice. Off the teams outside of the finals, is there one that you think is most in the in the premiership window as well? Is there one team that stands out? Look, you'd, you'd look at uh, Redbacks as being close. Yeah. Again, you know, they're, they're a new team together. So that's something that you've got to throw into the mix as well. They had a, a new coach and a few new players coming in. So, you know, they're, they're moving into that. And as we saw them progress through the year, they got better as the season went on. So another preseason and then, 
hitting a season next year. You know, their window is going to get there again. They've got a couple of very good teams ahead of them. Lakeside, Perry Lakes and Warwick have all been together for a lot longer. So that probably puts them there. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one that sort of you know, really impressed me and it sort of, you know, it jumps off the page, as I said about the Wolves, with their bottom five guys averaged uh, four minutes a game or six guys averaged four minutes a game. Um, there's a team that just missed the finals that their bottom one, two, three, four, five guys averaged 17 and a half minutes a game. And that's the Willem Tigers. Mm, okay. uh, the, the, the ability that, that they had to spread their minutes and get quality minutes into those guys. And we're talking guys are playing 10, 10, 11 games for the year. You know, Connor mentioned it at 22 and a half minutes a game uh, and quality minutes. You know, they've really set themselves up for, for success moving forward. I think they really used it for the West Coast Classic for that. They got minutes into their elder statesmen and managed to get them, you know, keep them happy and make it mean a bit to them by having them play play minutes, but also got those minutes into those kids coming through that could set them up for in the next couple of years, get the pieces right. They, they could be having the same sort of success that a Lakeside is um, and, a, and a Warwick is as they've sort of done in the last few years as well. Well, that's a perfect segue. News out of Wilton in the past week is that Stephen Black will no longer be the coach at the Willerton Tigers. I'm surprised by, the, by that news. I'm surprised that it looks like it was his decision to make to stand down. I think he's done a fantastic job and I think he's a fantastic coach. I think there's no doubt he's got a got an incredible coaching future. I've told that to him himself. I have no doubt if he wanted to look to become an assistant coach in the NBL, he's got the, well, he's got the background to be able to do it. If you have a look at his playing career, you have a look at his, at his dad and you have a look at um, what he's now done as, as a head coach in, in his own right, if he wanted to coach his own team somewhere else at, at some point, then I've got no doubt he can do that and, and do it well. So, so firstly, I think he, I think it'll be a shame to lose him to the, to the coaching game, and I hope he's not out of the coaching chair for too long. But secondly, that's a fantastic job for somebody to walk into because I think, exactly like you said, you've got some good experienced talent with the likes of Andrew Black and Damian Scott and, and, and Lewis Thomas. I think Connor Minchinton and Travis Fee and even Dylan Hampson were three guys that took the, the next step. Um, you've got somebody like a Lockie Evans or Michael Collins. Um, they're very handy role players. There's a lot of talent to work with. You think about the potential of their two imports who they would have been this year, Mo Barrow and Patrick Burke. That would have been an incredible team that they would have put on the court. It looks like it's a very good coaching job for somebody to inherit for next year. Yeah, and it's always uh, a tough one. And again, I'll use myself as the example. Five years at, at that, you know, playing in that grand final, it, it does, if you're not having the, the ultimate success, hmm. the pressure does start to mount. And no matter how much time and how much it means to you and, and all that, at, at some point, it just gets to the point where, is it a time to move on? Is the club not happy? Is it, I mean, you know, the, my voice no longer is resonating with the players. So we don't know what the, the situation was there. And again, maybe it was that, inability to take that next step that the club was looking for but yeah look again Willerton have always been one of the one of the teams that are around the mark and as we've said the junior program is very good and new stadium and all that sort of stuff yeah. it's uh it'll be a good place to coach be interesting to see what sort of comes out of out of the south of the river in the next sort of month or so the rumor mill in, in basketball in WA is a remarkable thing and there's things that float around all the time that you just have to shake your head out and I, I've asked you this question and you say that you haven't had any any communication with the club and I have no reason to doubt you at all when you when you say that because you've got nothing to gain from, from not telling me the truth, to be honest. So that that's just cleared up. Would you be interested in the job and have you had any communication with the club at, at this point? 
as I said, I'm an unemployed coach and I, I want to be a head coach. Yep. Um, very happy as Mark Utley's assistant coach. And again, any situation is going to have to be the right fit for me, um, my family and work and all the other things that go on in life. So the phone call happened. I would, again, sit down and have a coffee and, and talk to anyone, as, as we know. But there's a lot of things that would have to fall into place. So again, I've got a phone call I've got to make in a little bit about a, a coaching job in another place so you know there's there's things that happen all the time and and again you've got to weigh up all the all the pros and cons and and make sure that it's a good fit but yeah like i guess i said looking at that list there's a lot of head coaches around at the moment you know and even on their bench you know someone like adam nina is is sitting on their bench that uh, ex-williton player who's an ex-head coach who would probably do just as good a job as as anyone else so um lots of things would have to fall into place and again it's got to be the best fit for everyone no, very good. Very sound. That sounds fair enough to me. But I, it's just amazing that people like to bring other people down in this industry. It's just amazing that people are always very quick to think the worst of people. And I just wanted you to have the chance to make sure that that Steve knew more than anything that there was nothing going on behind the scenes that he he needed to worry about. There was nothing going on that you were doing anyway to to make his job harder. Um, as a head coach, you I respect every other head coach in the league and would never actively go around and try and take someone else's job. I think it's why I'm happy being an assistant coach yep. because, you know, that's the relationship that I've always had with Luke Brennan and I want them to be, a, I wanted him to be a head coach, mm-hmm. but I knew that he didn't want to have my job and that's the respect yeah. that you have for the other head coaches around the place. So, yeah, we'll see what happens in the next month or so or two months or three months and um, we'll go from there. Yeah, very well said. Now, some of the standout performers in the West Coast Classic, we saw so many players, young and old, really have outstanding seasons. If you had to pick an MVP winner at the end of it, who would, who would you go with? I think at the halfway mark, I know I had Ben Purser, and by the end of it, I still wouldn't be unhappy to give that award to Ben Purser. He was outstanding, but you know, there's, there's a lot of other strong candidates. Jackson Hussey, the season he had at the Rockingham Flames was, was fantastic. Um, Marshall Nelson at the Perth Redbacks, I think Damian Scott, at the Wilton Tigers. You could say both of the Twin Towers up at the Goldfields Giants, maybe just because he was a little bit more efficient. Maybe Mayo Malik would just get the nod if you had to pick one of one of those two up there. Aaron Ralph's season at the Geraldton Buccaneers is actually one that is seriously underrated. He he's probably had the best numbers of it of his whole career. Shaquille Maharaj was 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 excellent as well. There's a lot of really strong candidates. Is there one that stands out to you if you had to pick one? For me, and again, I, I look at it and go, who who did the most in their in their time? Who statistically had a had a very good season, and who sort of stood out and, and really you know actually won a couple of games for their teams? And if I was to give it a three, two, one, starting at the one, I'd probably go Jackson Hussey. I thought his season was outstanding. You know, a third place in an MVP vote would be probably about where he would have been if the coaches had been voting. I thought yeah. Marshall Nelson was outstanding as well. He had some games that he literally was the best player on the court um, and won the game off his own hand. But the guy that essentially got his team within one shot of a, of a semifinals, you know, in Damien Scott, mm. um, for me, showed me a lot this year. I would have to, I would, I would go be happy to go with him um, as the, as an MVP of the, of the league, nearly led the league in scoring and the number of times that was Damien Scott's, you know, last second shot that got him over the line or could have got him the win. I think, you know, Damien Scott would have been a worthy Worthy recipient of the MVP award this year. Yeah, I wouldn't be unhappy with that at all. And and I know he didn't make the shot, but it was only fitting that his team season ended up being decided by him taking the last shot to get into the finals or not. So I think 
you always want your best player to take your most important shots and and, and that's the way it panned out. And I think he took up a next level in terms of his leadership and and he's always been a he's always been an outstanding scorer, but I just think his all round game and, and leadership took up another another level this year. So yeah, I wouldn't wouldn't be unhappy with that at all. What are your overall thoughts when we look back on this competition? If we go back three months, we had no idea what to expect and we were just happy that we would be getting some basketball because a month back before that, we thought there was a serious chance that, well, we'd, we'd be like some of the other states and not get a competition at all once the SBL was cancelled. To me, this has been a raging success. It, the standard of play, for the most part, has not been that much lower than we would have seen for an SBL season. I know you add imports in across the board and things get a little bit better, but I think if you, if you have a look at the top teams especially, and probably the top six or seven, the standard really hasn't been too much below what we would have seen anyway. We've seen some exciting matches. We've seen things like the live streaming and coverage of games come into it. The crowds have been re- been really good. To me, I think it's been nothing but a great success, especially considering the alternative was that we had no basketball at all this year and no one got to play this sort of basketball in the state at, at anywhere near, near this level for a, for a whole year. And for me, what I really enjoyed was the sense of community that came out of it you know we were going through essentially we still are in a global pandemic it's it's not getting better we're still seeing you know situations where cities and countries are in lockdown and and all that sort of stuff and it was pretty bleak there for a while and i think more than anything everyone just wanted it to be a success and to see the way that um, the clubs embraced it and when you'd go into a club and even though they were it wasn't a a full-blown, you know, capacity crowd and, and all that. Teams still went about their best to make sure the show was being put on. When I, again, one of the first jobs I had, I've said, was with Mike Ellis running mm-hmm. three-on-three competitions. And one of my bosses said to me, when you go to the circus and only one person turns up, they still bring out the lions. And what sure. that meant was you still put on the show, regardless yep. of who's turning up. And that's what people did regardless of whether it was 100 people in the crowd or 500 people or the sold out FBL grand final west coast classic grand final everyone still took ownership and put on a show and for me it was great to see the coaches and being able to talk to people and and conversations and just people being happy that basketball was being played and then when we got out on the court as Mike said, the white line fever. Everyone was going for the points. Everyone mm. wanted to win. No one was throwing away games. It was hard fought to the very end. And that's what we needed to get us through this last six months, eight months. Was It was very bleak and very dark. And we were just coming out of a lockdown and all that sort of stuff. And then next thing, it's back. And just to see people getting out and supporting, that sort of stuff was just excellent. So for me, it was brilliant on that point. See the number of young guys coming through to see the quality of basketball um, was just excellent. All capped off with you know two great grand finals on the weekend. So three raging success. Yeah, I think so as well. And just finally, what, is it, what do you think it means now for 2021? How do you think we're placed going into next year? Let's hope that things are starting to clear up and things can be relatively normal. Do you think we're well-placed to become... An NBL one competition now next year. Change is scary to everyone, and it's mm. going to take uh, its time. I mean, it was you know, being floated around this time last year that this is what's going to happen, and we're now sitting here twelve months later, and we still haven't signed off on it. So there's obviously some trepidation and some some worry that are there, and some risk assessment that's going on. And essentially, when we do make that jump, it's going to be the best thing. All right, and we don't. I feel we don't want to wait too long. However. We want to make sure we get it right. And we don't want to leave people behind. We yeah. don't want to have clubs that aren't ready 
being told, no, you can't come in because then it's going to be harder the next time. So we want to make sure that everyone's ready. It's a community sport. It's a grassroots-driven sport. It's volunteer-driven. Everyone deserves a chance to be a part of it. And when everyone's ready and everyone's ready to sign off, the sleeping giant that is the West Australian basketball community is going to get shown to the the rest of the world. And that's the exciting part. So hopefully the powers that be are having meaningful conversations and they're preparing and making sure that everyone gets to take along. That's the beauty of basketball. It's a team sport. It's not just one person. And while we all feel the pain when we lose, we should all feel the glory when we win. And that's what we want to have. We don't want to leave people behind. Um, So look, I think we're, the talent, as we've seen in what was supposedly a watered-down season, the plethora of talent that we have is immense, not only on the court, but on the sidelines and the people in administration. And as you saw, it's Referee Appreciation Day today and mm. you know the quality of referees that we saw coming through. All those things, we're ready to take that next step. We've just got to make sure that everyone's ready. Um, and when we do, it's going to be great for, for WA basketball. Yeah, well said. I totally agree. And I think that's a good way to wrap up. Our West Coast Classic Analysis here on SBL Shootaround. When we come back, we'll wrap up the show for 2020. Okay, our final segment now, Ben, for, for the year on SBL Shootaround. We've got through 20 shows and, you know, all up, you know, Somewhere between eighty and hundred segments that we've done done now on this show. It's been a lot of a lot of fun, and I'm, I couldn't imagine doing it with anyone anyone but you. So I'm glad that you were open to open to my suggestion when I first contacted you about it. But as much fun as we have talking to each other, this show wouldn't be the same without the guests that we've had this year. And it's an like you said before, it's an absolute who's who of WA basketball, past, present future it's a it's an unbelievable list of guests that we've had over 20 shows now let me run through it and then you can give me your thoughts it all started way back on our episode two with james fitch and then we went into seb salinas mark utley cj jackson wayne simmons liam hunt dan hunt michael farrell wayne creek ryan gardner jared pro bryn jones stephen charlton andrew vlahov glenn ellis Jeff Anderson, Aaron Traher, Corey Easley, Mark Worthington, Greg Heyer, Gavin Field, Shaquille Maharaj, Steve DeConza, Dave Daniels, and as of tonight, Mike Allison, Cody Ellis. Uh-huh. That, that's, that's, pr- that's pretty incredible. You think of the, the championships, the games played, the MVP awards, the NBL games, the SBL games, the college games. I mean, that's, that's an amazing list of, of people, Ben. Yes, and uh, essentially what we managed to do was give all those guys a chance to tell their story, which is sure. what when, when we sat down and talked about it, I said I didn't want to talk about X's and O's. I didn't want to talk about you know defending ball screens. I wanted to talk to guys and get to know their stories because yep. I've been fortunate enough to sit on road trips with a lot of these guys and, and talk to them and, and hear those stories. And the legends that, that you hear, um, just being able to – for those guys to have that avenue to, to share those, um, for me, was what it was all about. And You know, I couldn't pick one guy to say he was the best guest because every single one brought something different to the table, a different story, a different name, a different person they'd interacted with, a memory they had, 
um, was just phenomenal. And again, 31 years of, of the SBL, um, just unbelievable. Um, and then to sort of think about where we're heading, taking those stories with us is, is what it's about. That's how you build your culture. That's how you build your legacy. Um, that's how you build respect. You respect where you've come from so you know where you're going. So for me, that journey with those guys has been absolutely phenomenal. You've talked about it when we've spoken to the guys individually, but you know, guys like James Fitch, guys like Andrew Vlahov, Jeff Anderson, um, and, and even Mike on this on the show this week, you've talked about how these guys were your heroes. You've been involved in basketball for a long time now, and you know, you've had a great playing career, and now you've had a great coaching career, but is it still a buzz for you to speak to guys that were your heroes when you, when you were younger? Absolutely, because... You forget that in the 90s and that NBA wasn't easily accessible. It sure, was yeah. getting videotapes sent over. There was NBA action on Saturday afternoon at yep. 5 o'clock. You got half an hour of highlights. It was basketball cards. You weren't going mm-hmm. and sitting and watching them run up and down the court at Willett Stadium or Warwick Stadium or wherever it was where you were going. It wasn't you know, the ability to, as I said, you know, walk on and do a do a coaching clinic and Mike Ellis is your coach mm. or you're going, you know, you're, you're playing against uh, Wayne Simmons in a pickup game. Those things weren't the NBA. These guys in the SBL and, and the NBL were those live heroes that were in front of you in their flesh and blood. So, yeah, to be able to talk to them and share their stories and, and even just be acknowledged that they remember who you were uh, <laughs> is just amazing for me. And that's that's the part that I've really enjoyed is just connecting with those guys and being able to tell them how much they meant to a, a skinny kid on a, on a farm in Katanning. Um, you know, that's sort of set me on that path to where basketball could be my passport to, to get me to see the rest of the world. So, um, yeah, absolutely blown away to, to be able to speak to those guys and hopefully we can speak to a few more next year. Absolutely. I want to give a shout out to your dad. What's it like knowing that your dad, you've talked about your dad, he wasn't always being the son of a coach in a basketball sense, but what's it like knowing that he listens to, to this show and you're, you're almost talking to him in some ways? Again, he's the one that put the ball in my hand. He's the one that drove me to practice. He's the one that taught me how to shoot a basketball I've won multiple championships with him at a national wheelchair level. He sat sat courtside at the end of the bench in the 2011 and 2015 grand finals and he's the first person I'd walk down and, and give him a hug at the end of the game. So I know exactly what it means to the guys like Ryan and, and, and Cody to win that with your, with your dad sitting there mm. um, and how much they mean to be a, a part of your journey and the sacrifice they made. And my mum as well. Like, yep. you know, we're not here without that, without them and they support you through all the good things and, and they're there to sort of pick you up when things don't go right. So, uh, but yeah, having Lenny sit there and listen and, and send me a little message after each one, it's, uh, it's great. And, and I know he enjoys it and I know he, he loves reminiscing the old times that, you know, we would sit around the TV on a, on a Friday night. Up sometimes if it was an away game, it's an 11.30. You're sitting up and you're watching the Wildcats play, you know, North Melbourne Giants. And, mm. and you're both sitting there and you're loving it. So um, those are the things that have sort of come back for me as well, which have been really, really good. Now, that that list of guests we had was incredible. Um, if there was one person we didn't get to talk to last year who you, who you would desperately like to talk to again next year if we if we come back, is there somebody that pops into your head straight away? Well, let's track down uh, Snoopy Graham. Let's, oh, get his, let's see if we can get him uh, on the podcast, talk about his talk about his thoughts of stepping off the plane in Kalgoorlie and, and dropping 82 points on mm-hmm. the uh, Willem Tigers and then the next week seeing up Michael Jordan. Um, <laughs> I think he would be absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, um, that's a, that's a and then call. maybe... 
maybe someone like Luke Longley would be great as well. Yeah. Um, given you know he's played at every level. Uh, well, no, he hasn't played NBL, but um, you know, just his no, story. I think very, very few games for the Wildcats he did play. Did he? There you go. Yeah. So you know, that's the sort of guy I think. Um, because because people would love to hear those stories. So, uh, but yeah, look, I reckon let's try and track down Snoopy Graham and and see if we can get him on the pod. Fantastic. That's a that's a great goal to give us going into into next year. Um, to me, I wanted to do this show because I've loved my involvement in, in the SBL. I, I really became, I guess, full-time in the SBL once I left the Wildcats and I had to decide what to do with my life and I decided to, to refocus a little bit and, and the SBL became a big part of my life, especially while the season's on for this six months of the year and I have just loved being part of the competition and I, I've loved my ability to promote the competition, but it was limited to just writing the articles for the SBL's website, which I'm grateful to BWA for the opportunity to do that. But coming into this year, I wanted to expand a little bit the way I could I could promote the league and the people in it because there's so many amazing people in the league and I, I thought this was the best way for me to, to promote it to a whole new audience, I guess, and to and to give the people involved in the league a chance to to share their stories, like you said about said before. And I think it's it's ended up being a great success and I, I, I'm really happy with the way it's turned out. But I want to thank you for joining me on this ride as well because when I was thinking about a co-host, um, you were immediately the first person that came to mind because I I knew your basketball mind and I I it was at the point where you had left East Perth so you weren't going to be involved in a coaching sense and I wanted you to be able to stay involved in the league and I thought this was a great way to for you to stay involved in the league, to watch the league closely and to, to share your thoughts and, and your incredible basketball mind. But also um, it might be something new and fresh for you to do as well to, to, get, to get yourself out there in the, in the public and get, get the public to see a different side of you, not the coaching side of you that Mike Ellis talked about before, that white line fever side, and, and get to see the personal side of you as well. And it, it's, it's exceeded all of my expectations and I think that's because of the work you've put in. So... I wanted to thank you for for joining me on this ride and for all of the the effort that you've put in. No, I appreciate it. And again, um, when we when you first floated it to me, I I was kind of a little bit apprehensive because mm. I've never done anything like that. But yeah, as as is my way, I, I I jump in the deep end and and see if I see if I can swim. And um, no, that's right. The first know, message I got back was pretty much saying no. It was like, oh well, gee, now I've yeah. got to go back to the drawing board. But a couple of days later, you you'd change change your mind. Yeah, and it was you know again, it's just that fear of change. You don't mm. know. You, you all those things run through your head, and then in the end, you go, you know what? What's the worst that can happen? Um, so you know, it's been great. I've enjoyed it, and again, it's it's opened up some some other things. You know, yeah. I enjoyed calling the game. I've enjoyed. I don't um, think either of us would have done that commentary if it hadn't been for doing this show. Not at all, and that's yeah. the thing. So well, that's the sort of opportunities that that basketball provides everyone. There's a pathway for. A, Lots and lots of different things in, in basketball, um, and where it takes you, it's, that's the the beauty of the game. It um, it opens up so many doors and so many different things. So, um, no, I really enjoyed it. And the best part of about it for me has been having people appreciate it. I had, I had the, the I've had the parents of Ethan Elliott contact me in the in the last in the last week or so. His mum sent me a, a lovely message on, on on Facebook thanking me for just being. They first tuned in because we had mentioned their son and they wanted to hear us talk about Ethan and then they've stuck with us because they have loved what we've been able to bring them in terms of talking about basketball. And then on on Saturday, Saturday on Sunday night, sorry, 
um, after the grand final, um, his dad came up to me and hunted me down and he just wanted to thank me for what we've done here on the show. And, and to me, that's exactly what makes it makes it worthwhile. We don't need anything else out of this show except to, to know that people are appreciating what we're doing and appreciating what we're doing in terms of promoting the sport, but also the people that are, are involved in it. Yeah, and I think people work out very quickly when you're when you're genuine and and, yeah. and you're doing things for the right reasons. And again, um, came into this with no expectations, and uh, I think we exceeded them. Um, and you know that's the sort of feedback that I've been getting around the place as well. And you know, for me, it, it gave me a chance to meet someone like Luke Franklin, who mm. uh, after a week of listening listening to the pod, you know, changed his perception of me and. And you know, now I've got a guy that I, I, I rate really highly and, and love having a bit of a joke with and, and chatting to up the hill. So, you know, that's the beauty of it. When you do things for the right reasons, you know, good things happen. Well, great way to finish, I think. Let's make it official. Who is our SBL shoot around personality of the year for twenty twenty? Look, I'm gonna continue the uh, the love fest, if you will, and I'm just gonna give Chris Pike uh, the biggest <laughs> shout out that he's probably got. Not a lot of people would know that um, we don't get paid to do this. We don't have any sponsors on this. It doesn't. It's not just a, an hour or hour and fifteen minutes. Um, you know, putting this together. We Chris spends time chasing down stats and researching and following people up. He's doing this one. He's doing the women's one. All the articles that you've seen this year on the BWA website have been done out of the goodness of his heart, as he said, to promote the league. I, I can't, from a basketball fan perspective, can't thank you enough for the amount of work that you've done and the way you continue to promote this league and, and all the good things and all the good people that are in it. And I think sometimes we do take a few things for granted. And, you know, maybe, you know, next time you, a, a Facebook article pops up written by Chris Pike, just give it a bit of time, have a read because he does know his stuff as we've seen with his research and the way he uh, talks about the game. My big one for, for this year is, you know, Chris Pike, SBL shoot-around personality of the year. <laughs> um, I don't know what to say to that, Ben. That's very, very humbling. Um, no, thank you very much. That actually means a lot coming coming from somebody like you because, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, with your with everything that you've done in, in basketball and, you know, everything we've done together, it means a lot coming coming from you so thank you very much for that Welcome, that's, mate. That, that, that's very kind of you and I'm, for the first time in 20 episodes i'm actually lost for words ben so it might be a good time to to wrap it up but but thank you to everyone who's been so supportive of our show thank you for everyone who's listened and to downloaded the show thanks to everyone who who voted in our polls and our competitions that we ran throughout the season and of course thank you to our guests and also thank you to the good team at 91.3 sport fm for making Thursday nights their SBL shoot around night that was a that was a massive bonus for us here on here on the show so a lot of people to thank but yeah no no one more so than you Ben so thank you very much for joining joining me on this journey I really hope we can do it again again next year whether or not you are a head coach or not hopefully you can still find some time for it but I'm Chris Pike and I'll wrap it up for 2020 here on SBL shoot around and it's only fitting that I'll leave you the two-time championship-winning coach, Ben Etridge, with the final words. Uh, it's been an absolute blast. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in, all the guests, all the people that have sent those messages. Really enjoyed this year and really looking forward to a, a much better 2021 from a basketball perspective and hopefully we get a full season and you know we continue to go on to bigger and better things. So looking forward to being a part of SBL Shootaround for, for 2021, um, no matter what the capacity is. Um, and you know, wish everyone uh, all the best and hopefully a much better 2021.